lacrosse fans and welcome back it is the off the crossbar podcast i am your host teddy jenner and first off let me say this congratulations to the sheriff peyton manning and the denver broncos champs it was a very very good sunday but it was also a very very good week six in the National Lacrosse League with four games on the schedule. And we'll touch on a lot of them. We'll touch on a few other things as we go throughout the next hour or so here on OTC Beef. Some formalities out of the way. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. Or you can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Some great uh, emails from fans this week that uh, I want to touch a quick little base on, especially one of them. And this one comes from uh, Christopher Teague, uh, and, and it's all about grassroots. And I've talked, uh, and Commissioner Nick Sakavich talked about growing the grassroots of lacrosse, especially at the younger age, getting more kids interested in lacrosse because, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years, they're going to be the people either playing in the National Lacrosse League or buying season tickets and coming to the games. But what Christopher points out is maybe we should start focusing on adult grassroots as well. And the fact of trying to get more people, you know, who are either drinking age or the ones buying tickets, doing the buying for households, guys with kids or parents with kids who play lacrosse, because a lot of those people whose kids are just getting into the game are also interested in playing lacrosse. And and there's senior leagues and master leagues all around uh, the country and even in North America. But if we can get some of those people playing lacrosse as well, then I think it creates a bit more of a dynamic. So a nice little angle there from Christopher about maybe getting some more people involved in the game. I know, you know, every team does um, youth clinics and camps, whether it's during the season or in the off season. Some teams do it, you know, on game days. They do some shoot arounds. Uh, the Calgary Roughnecks do uh, a lady cross event where they try and get out uh, a lot of the, the women fans that they have, introduce them to the sport of lacrosse. But I think what Christopher says is a great idea and that we need to get more adults playing lacrosse. And the more you can inspire adults to play, then you create a bond with them with their kids. They can play catch in the backyard. They're going to more league games. They're going to uh, play more. And they might even start coming to more lacrosse games. When the National Lacrosse League, especially in Toronto, when a lot of those rock games were on, you were seeing a bigger demographic of adults going to games. And we need to get those adults playing the sport as well. If you look at the fan base that's in Saskatchewan right now, and, and a lot of it's same in Colorado, is those people that are going aren't necessarily, you know, kids 8 to 14 or 15 or 16. It's a lot of 22 to 40-year-old people. And those are the people that have the money, that are, that are paying for the tickets, going to the games, bringing their friends, having a few wobbly pops, and enjoying the atmosphere of the NLL. But if we don't give them an avenue to play then we kind of lose a great angle to incorporate more fans. So a uh, great email from Christopher last week about getting adult grassroots sports uh, or programs out there so we can get more people involved in playing lacrosse. So thank you, Christopher, for your email. Uh, again, if you want to find me, email me at teddy.jenner at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at off the crossbar. It was a good week in the National Lacrosse League, as I said, in week six, there were four games. Uh, it all started on Friday in the tune when Saskatchewan beat Calgary 19-12. And, and it wasn't Calgary's best performance. And Saskatchewan's just starting to find that other gear. And that is scary. Uh, they didn't start off so hot with that loss to Vancouver at home where they kind of petered off in the fourth quarter. And they kind of tend to do that. Saskatchewan, you know, even when they were Edmonton in the last couple of years, they were slow starting well, two years ago when they almost won every single game. Um, but last year, they were a bit of a slow starter. Uh, championship hangover, maybe. This year, kind of trying to figure things out in a new arena and new fan base. But now they're starting to hit that streak, and that doesn't bode well for anybody. And when they were playing Calgary, you could sense there was still that Calgary-Edmonton hatred between the two teams. But Saskatchewan just played 
at a whole new level. And when Zach Greer scores a second quarter sock trick, and I believe five of them were in a row, it, it it's just great to see how crazy this game is. Let's see, one, two, three, four. Yeah, he scored six in the second. Five of them were in a row. Saskatchewan actually scored seven straight with McIntosh getting a goal quickly after Greer's. But in a span of, like, under five minutes, Greer scored six goals. I believe that's a national cross-league record. I don't know the actual stat. Um, I'm sure Graham Perrow will probably find it for me after he listens to this and tells me what the exact time is because that's what he does. He's incredible at it. Um, but it was just, just incredible to see the way that game played out. And Chris Corbeil starts things off 31 seconds in, and he's just becoming so good at leading his team and showing and leading by example. But Saskatchewan got quickly down 3-1 after that Corbeil goal, and then they rattled off four straight to end the quarter. Sorry, five straight to end the quarter. And then to start the second, Calgary quickly gets two back to make it 6-5, and then... Saskatchewan scores seven in a row and kind of puts the game out of reach. So that was Friday night, and it was a great crowd in Saskatoon, uh, just under 10,000, and they're just, that fan base is building. And, you know, the whole hashtag hot summer nights or hot winter nights is starting to gain some momentum in Saskatchewan. And when you look at some of the tweets that people are sending out and that the rush are retweeting and so people can kind of see what other fans are saying, it's taken off like wildfire there, and it's slowly building. And it wouldn't surprise me that if all things go according to plan this year as it's been, and they continue trending upward, that maybe in 2016, or sorry, 2017, maybe they take off the tarps in the upper deck and open that second section. But I like the fact that they're keeping everybody in close. I remember when I was part of the rush in their first years in Edmonton, heck, even when I was in Minnesota or in Anaheim, when you go to some of these markets that are struggling and they're playing in these big arenas and they have the whole arena open and you have, you know, a scattering of fans all around the lower bowl, plus you have fans in the upper bowl, it just loses the atmosphere because there's just so much space for all that noise to go and just go straight up. So with the rush blocking off much of the upper section, if not all of the upper sections, and just rocking the lower bowl, it just creates an intent or uh, an intimate, intense environment. And the rush are putting on a show for their home fans. Like even that loss to Vancouver uh, in their home opener was an incredible game. And, and now they've won a couple in a row, and they're starting to gain momentum, and they're back to their sort of old selves. And as I said, that's not good for anybody. They've now taken over the lead in the West as Colorado has lost a couple games and just so happens that those two teams will square off Thursday night at the Loud House, Saskatchewan in Colorado in a pivotal first place battle in the West early on in the season. And you kind of have to, you know, scratch your head with Colorado um, they go. They went into Vancouver on Saturday night, and unfortunately, uh, as it turned out, as word kind of came out as that game went on, and, and I kind of knew before the game because I had a couple people tell me about it, but the Mammoth were just ravaged with the flu bug. Um, I think Chris Gill said all but two of his guys uh, were puking, and one of them was Dan Coates, and he was serving the first game of his two-game suspension. And that takes a toll on a team. Like You could tell that their guys were feeling it. They didn't have that jump. They didn't have that extra gear. And Vancouver just put the boots to them. Uh, it was a complete role reversal of the game two weeks ago where Colorado came in and embarrassed Vancouver 17-4 uh, uh, or whatever. I can't remember what the score was. Um, sorry, 14-5. I'm looking right at it. Um, and it was complete role reversal. And it all started with a rookie who made one of the best debuts you'll ever see in the National Lacrosse League. And that means that Ryan Wagner 
makes his NLL debut. And Brennan Cohen gets back into the lineup here tonight for Vancouver. And here we go, right off the top. Wagner trying to scoop it up, and he will, right in on goal, scores! Are you kidding me? Has there been a better first touch in the National Lacrosse League this season? Ryan Wagner, the first time he's ever touched the ball, and it ends up in the back of the net. The Vancouver still have to lead 1-0. First shift, first touch, first shot, first goal. And then the Stealth rode the wagon all the way to a huge victory. Now, it wasn't just uh, Wagner who kind of drove the show for them because he played an incredible game. And if you can go back and watch that game or, or you have it on your PVR or DVR, or you can find a link for it. You know, he had his moments where he kind of got lost every so often, especially when he was checking junior. But he really fit in, and he's a big guy with incredible foot speed and great athleticism. And he didn't miss a beat. He was aggressive. He was, you know, getting dirty, going into the corners, fighting for loose balls. And, and he was put in some key situations, and he did very well. Um, so he scores the opening goal in his first shift. And then shortly after that, Jordan Durston, another rookie who's been playing quite well on and off, uh, he gets the goal to make it 2-0, and it just kind of catapulted Vancouver from there. Colorado ends up tying it eventually 3-3, but after that, it was all stealth all the time, and Logan Schuss is slowly starting to prove himself, and I think it might be because he and I started playing words with friends, because ever since we started playing, he's had back-to-back -back incredible games for the stealth. It might be, it might not be. He's starting to succeed. And one of the reasons I think Vancouver was so successful on Saturday night um, was because they went 10-6. 10 D guys, 6 forwards. Now, it may not seem like a big idea or a big deal, but when you only have 6 forwards, it was uh, Billings, McCurdy, and Dutch for the righties, and then Schuss, Small, and Durston were the lefties. Cliff Smith's still out. Uh, with concussion, he's still a few weeks away. They're taking some time with him to make sure he's completely healthy. But when you just have six guys, they're pretty much going out every other shift. And that allows guys like Garrett Billings and Reese Dutch, and I can list them all, but it allows those two guys, especially Enshus and Small, to touch the ball more. And when the balls in those guys sticks more often, they become more comfortable with each other. They get a more... Uh, better flow or better sense of the game flow and that allows them to be more successful as an offensive unit and it really showed and it was their best offensive output of the year and, and it was their best game of the year and that bodes incredibly well moving forward and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the play of Eric Penny because the cell showed a lot of faith in him we talked last week on this show about the Tyler Richards situation, and he and I talked Friday, and the Stealth could have brought him into practice on Friday night to evaluate him. Uh, I talked to Doug Locker today. I'm, this is being done on Tuesday. Um, I talked to him today, and he said that it wouldn't have made sense to bring in T. Rich on a Friday night practice the night before a game when he wouldn't have gotten a lot of shots, when he probably wouldn't have been the, the focal point, and they just wanted to give Penny the full confidence. And I respect that decision because you have to show faith in the guy that you're putting all your eggs in one basket for. And Vancouver's doing that. They're saying, Eric Penny, you are our guy. We are going to ride you. You are our number one goalie. So to put that confidence in him and not sign Richards and not bring him to practice and take a very risky gamble by putting him on the free agent list because they had until their second practice, which was Friday. And if they didn't evaluate him, then he becomes a free agent. And so, essentially, after that Friday night practice, T-Rich was in limbo all the way until Tuesday. So any team could have picked him up. And I know there were a couple teams that were kicking some tires. But nobody took the chance. And so Vancouver, Doug Locker, and, and all the people within that organization, um, Dave Takata, Denise Watkins, uh, Dan Perot, Kyle Sorensen, and Caleb Toth, like everybody had a say 
and bringing Tyler Richards back, and they did. So they signed him to a one-year deal on Tuesday. He's out of retirement. He's on the roster. They've released Chris Levis, who understandably was none too pleased with the decision. I've yet to actually speak with Chris, but and when I was speaking with Doug, he said, you know, he's kind of bitter about it. He, he, it's a tough business decision, and Levis did everything the stealth asked him to do, but this was a decision that the team felt was best for the team, so now Tyler Richards is in, Chris Levis is out, so what do they do moving forward? Well, Eric Penny's still their guy. I think bringing in T-Rich is a great thing because now they have a strong backup. But my concern is, you know, T-Rich has gone through uh, tests with doctors, neurologists, and head doctors. That's a neurologist, Ted, figured out. Um, he's gone through all the tests and the protocol that they want him to do, and he has been given full clearance. But what happens when he takes a shot off the helmet? That's my only concern. And the fact that he hasn't had any shots in almost a year is concerning. So we'll just have to wait and see how that one plays out. We're going to stick with goalies here um, in the opening segment. We're going to speak with Patty Merrill of the Toronto Rock in a few minutes. But um, there was three great goaltender stories. Uh, Eric Penny was one. Mike Poulin was another. And he's uh, we're going to get to him a little bit later. But the other story was David DeRuscio. And he stepped in for Anthony Cosmo for the Bandits against the Black Wolves. Uh, Cos was unable to go, but I believe he was on the bench. Um, but DeRuscio got the start, and he was great. You know, he he let in uh, the goal early on. I think it was might have been one of the first shots that he faced, Sheldon Burns shorthanded. But then he settled down, and he started to see the ball really well. He started getting into a bit of a groove. He even took a roughing penalty in the, in the second quarter. Just, you know, it just shows that he was in the game. And he ends up making 43 saves, lets in 10 goals, and just allowed the Bannets an opportunity to win that game. And when Troy Cordingly, head coach of the Bannets, was asked after the game, he had full praise, even some little bits of criticism of his starting goaltender. You just love everything about Davey, his, his, his work ethic and attitude. And, you know, he played real well. And, um, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a good thing. Like he's just a, he's a goalie. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he uh, made some big saves. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that one they made on uh, Sean Evans coming across, and, you know, with a stick. It was just, you know, and that's a good save. And that's against the MVP of the league. So um, we're pleased with, with, uh, with Davey's effort. And, you know, um, maybe we have two number one goals. <laughs> so do they have two number ones? Maybe. And uh, in my conversation uh, with one GM this week, we were talking about, and I've talked about this before on this show, is the future of the goaltender position is the one I'm most worried about. Because if Commissioner Sakevich wants to go and add three teams in two years. That's six goaltender spots that need to be filled, starters and backups. And I don't know currently if there are six goalies that I would bring into the National Cross League. Now, are there three starters out there? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think DeRuscio is a starter. If Poulin plays the way he's been playing, he's still a starter. And Angus Goodleaf's a starter. So there's three guys right there that easily could step into a starting role in the National Cross League. You have uh, Christian Del Bianco, who's the third goalie in Calgary. He's going to be a stud. The kid's only 18 years old. Um, depending on how Tyler Richards plays, there's a if he's fully healthy and, and, and his head can handle taking shots off the helmet, there's another guy. Um, you know... Zach Higgins is slowly evolving into um, a, an upper-level goalie. I still don't think he's there yet. Um, Ty Belanger had a great summer out west with Burnaby, but I don't know if he's a starter. So there, there are questions. You know, Dylan Ward's there. Alex Bouquet. Dylan Ward's a starter. Bouquet could probably be a starter. But these young goaltenders, we need to continue to build them. And DeRuscio just showed when you give a goalie a chance and you put confidence in him, just like the Stealth did with Penny, 
you will be rewarded. And you will see success. And Jerusio played a fantastic game. And you heard Troy Cordelin, you know. He just got the job done. And that's all coaches can ask for. The Toronto Rock have been off for two weeks. Uh, will eventually have been off for two weeks when they play this weekend. They go uh, to New England this weekend. And it's not going to be an easy game. It's going to be a Sunday, Valentine's Day matinee at the casino. And my good buddy Patty Merrill and his Toronto Rock are looking to rebound and figure things out after starting 0-5, they brought in Matt Sawyer to work with the defense after Dan Latasura was let go last week. So joining us now, all the way from Ontario, is my good buddy, former Mercyhurst teammate of mine, and someone who I've had on this show almost yearly, just because he's just such a knowledgeable guy. He, he understands the nuances in and out of the game. And he joins us now on the OTCB podcast. He is from the Toronto Rock, Patty Merrill. Patty, how are you, buddy? Good, Teddy. How are you doing, bud? Uh, I'm pretty good, man. Uh, how's things in Toronto? Um, you know, obviously it's been a pretty tough start to the year, um, but uh, you know we're trying to trying to stay positive and um, and trying uh, to focus just on working our way out of it. But uh, yeah, it's been a, been a, a trying start to the year for sure. 14 years in the National Lacrosse League. Have you ever seen a season start like this? I've never been a part of it. Uh, I've, you know, I've never been uh, a part of a losing streak like this before in my career. But, uh, um, you know, it's, I think it's just a, a reflection of the fact that, uh, you know, every team's really good now. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and um, you got to, sh- you got to show up and not to sound cliche, but you got to show up and, and be prepared to do everything you can to win every night. And uh, and when you don't, you'll get beat, right? So, um, you know, I, I, I do believe in, in, in the guys that we have in the room and the character that we have. And uh, uh, we have a lot of winners in that room. And, and uh, I, 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 you know, I do believe we have a team that can turn things around. But we're, you know, we're up against it right now for sure. We've dug ourselves it, a, pretty, a deep hole. Yeah. Is it tough to be – in that locker with so many guys who have won to not really have a, a quick fix because it's got to be pretty frustrating to see a team that was in the league finals last year and then to have this start and, and usually you know a team struggles one or two losses and they can turn things around is it tough to see this team struggling yeah it's it's honestly it's been uh i, I haven't slept a whole lot i don't think <laughs> yeah. uh, anyone uh that's been around the team is I would say would feel the same way as well. I mean, it's a group of guys that really care, you know, and mm-hmm. we had a really emotional year last year and, and that emotion and passion took us a long way. And, and, and to say that uh, we can't kind of bring that or we haven't been able to bring that so far this year yet uh, is extremely frustrating and disappointing mm-hmm. and, and embarrassing in some ways. And, and just, uh, you know, but I mean, I will say that, you know, with guys that have been around for a while, I think the one good thing is that, you know, there's not a lot of quit in the guys that we have in our room, and, and, uh, and hopefully that can, that can uh, again, not to sound repetitive, but help mm-hmm. us get out of this hole. How much did T mean to you as a lacrosse player? Because I've spoken to a lot of guys, and everyone's able to tell a story of, of how he shaped their career professionally, personally, and family-wise. What did he mean to you? Well, it's hard to hard to describe without kind of getting a little bit emotional here myself, to be honest. But uh, you know, he was honestly he was like uh, kind of like a second dad, to be honest. Mm-hmm. He, uh, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, when when I first moved to Orangeville, I came from Montreal, so I didn't even know what lacrosse was really. And um, you know, his him and his family, you know, Lindsay and Shane and Phil is all of his brothers in, in, mm-hmm. in, in Orangeville there really, you know, convinced my dad to sign Brody and up for, for lacrosse. And we kind of grew up playing for those guys and, and learning their way of doing things. And, and not only how to, how to carry yourself and uh, on the floor, but how to, how to be, how to carry yourself off the floor. And, um, and, uh, and for me that, that 
has gotten me to this point, and I think yeah. um, I think a lot of guys that played under them would say the same thing, and um, it's something that will never leave me. It was my is my was my connection with him and, and what I learned from him. You obviously would take a lot of those characteristics to your coaching and with your work at the Hill Academy. We'll get into that in a bit. But when you when you see where he brought this lacrosse club and now he was able to bring you and your brother together, how special was that to be able to play for the first time as teammates? Yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been really special, and uh, you know, I mean that that all had to do with T as well. I mean, yeah. first of all, I think my mom kind of. Uh, influence <laughs> to a certain degree uh, she was she was he, i think he was more scared of my mom than any, anybody else in lacrosse yeah. i think but anyways but she she you know but i mean at the same him and my dad are, were, were really close as well and and t is a real was a really loyal guy you know mm-hmm. and, and and um even even bringing me back to toronto uh when orlando folded was uh yeah. was all his doing as well and and so you know, obviously, uh, that meant a lot to us, and Brody and I are really tight, and, and uh, it's been pretty special to get to be a teammate of his after all these years, finally. Let's talk about you personally. Uh, you started the first four games with the team, and you were, you know, you're a battled, hardened veteran, and you've had some ups and downs. You've had some injuries and, and some knee problems, but um, mm-hmm. in that Buffalo game, unfortunately, you got a bit of a knee injury. What's your status now? Well, yeah, unfortunately, it was actually um, a, a game before that when I when we played in Rochester, I twisted okay. my knee. I, I, I never really had – I had some minor injuries in the past, but I've never really mm-hmm. had anything um, significantly wrong with my knee. And I twisted my knee in Rochester, and then uh, the following practice, I saw the doctors and stuff, and they were hoping it was just, uh, you know, a meniscus uh, tear, which, you know, I was – you know, well, they felt that I, you know, and I felt that I could play through and, and, uh, but, you know, scheduled an MRI and I got through the Buffalo game and then, um, and then another practice. And then I felt like it was, you know, I needed to, uh, get it looked at again and went back to the doctors and they got me in to get an MRI pretty quickly after that. And, uh, they found an ACL tear and, uh, and my meniscus was torn as well. So, Unfortunately, my season looks like it's over, and uh, I'm scheduled to have surgery in, in March. So uh, it's a pretty devastating blow for me personally. Um, yeah. Especially, especially going through what we've been going through as a team. It's kind of the last, uh, you know, obviously not being able to be there for my teammates to help mm-hmm. us get out of this thing um, is uh, pretty unfortunate. But it, that's sports. Yeah, it is sports. And, and, you know, I've done my knee. I did it at Mercyhurst when we were there, and, and, and it seems to be the most common injury in lacrosse. And I, I just mm-hmm. doing some, like, even just with, with The Rock, you know, Damon Edwards hurt his knee in the summer playing for Oakville. Uh, Scotty Johnson did his knee. But the list goes on and on of guys who have done their knees playing on turf. Is it something that people should kind of start to be concerned about, you think? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can really pinpoint just that aspect of it i mean i think it's also it's also uh you know i I think the nature of our game where there's a lot of quick cutting and guys are big and strong and fast and and move in a lot of different directions throughout the course of every shift out there as you know um but you know i think that obviously you know if we want to protect players in the future and you know you got to look at things like that you know and you know there's you know there's you know you, you go um, you know, really, there's no other sport that really, continue, maybe field hockey, continues to use that 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 old school kind of form of turf. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, again, I, I don't know if that's the only reason, or but you know, you got to look at things like that for sure. I mean, we had a pretty devastating injury last year, uh, right before the championship game um, mm-hmm. in Edmonton, where you know Brett Hickey who scored 50 goals for us. Uh, you know. Uh, rolled his ankle on the turf and, and shoot around that morning and couldn't yeah. play that night championship game, right? So there, you know, certainly those, those are things that you know I think the players' association and, and the league should look at um, yeah. in terms of players' sort of safety in the future. But I don't know if there's one kind of hard and fast solution to it either. Do you think the PA is is doing a good job protecting the players and looking out for their best interests? Uh, that's that's a pretty deep question. I mean, I. I, uh, I <laughs> You know, I I, I, I I do. I think I think um, you know personally, 
you know, you know, our, our player rep is Jesse Gamble and he does a, yeah. he does an awesome job. He's very passionate about having the players backs and things like that. And, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Dave Sakamura and, you know, John Rose is a former teammate of mine. So mm-hmm. is Gene Ash and they're, they're great stand-up guys. They're very bright guys as well. And, uh, you know, I think that they do their best. I think that they, um, you know, I think we could always continue to progress as a, as a, as an association, but I think that they also, you know, have the, have the best interest in the league in the league as well you know I, yeah. I think that's important as well as growing the game in general um and uh you know i think part of that big part of that is keeping our players safe and uh, i think they do a decent job of that talking about guys you know being safe and, and being injured and coming back josh sanderson was back at practice for you guys last week uh and all reports pointing to the signs that he was on the evaluation list and everyone expects him to be back this uh this weekend when you guys play your game after two weeks off how much will he impact this team because everyone says he's not going to be the silver bullet and the magic elixir to turn things around but how important will it be to get him back um well i mean i don't think that there was there you know um he he he, it'll be a huge lift for our team um and to put it uh to put it mildly i think uh you know, uh, when he when he left us in training camp there, it was a big surprise to everybody. And yeah. not to put this on him or, or he, you know, I know he doesn't want to, you know, he's not going to be the savior and he doesn't want to be looked upon that way. But just, just his approach, you know, he's a, a lot like we were talking about with T, you know, mm-hmm. he is he is T. And if you've yeah, met, you met his sons, Cam and Dylan and and, and Owen, they are, they are T. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just, he, bring, he brings... He brings a certain level of intensity. He brings a little yeah. c- certain certain. He's got a way about him in terms of leadership, where he doesn't have to say a word, and um, you know exactly what he means. Um, yeah. And he has a certain character, and uh, where it just kind of brings confidence to a locker room. And he's just got a way about him, and that that's that's unique. And uh, I think what he brings on the floor too is really going to help us as well. You mm-hmm. know, um, you know, take the pressure off a lot of guys that are squeezing their sticks pretty tight right now, yeah. and. Uh, you know, you know his game just as well as anybody. I mean, he, he's always prided himself on you know using his teammates and uh, being a bit of a quarterback out there and and, and that sort of thing too. So uh, I think he's going to be a huge lift to us for sure. You talked about that professionalism, that dedication, and that work ethic. Is that a Sanderson trait or is that an Orangeville trait? Well, I mean. I think they, they kind of go hand. They go hand in hand. You know, I would say, you know, I, I, there's something unique about the Sanderson family, mm-hmm. you know, in general, and um, they just have that that will to win, that desire, um, that passion for the game that um, you know is is, is very unique. Yeah. Um, but and, and I think through their leadership from the beginning of the North, then that's that's transcended down to all different levels of that organization. So. Yeah. Um, for sure, I think it, it, they kind of go hand in hand, but it definitely starts with, it starts with those guys. Absolutely does. One of those guys that that is kind of under that Sanderson umbrella is Matty Sawyer, who's now going to work mm-hmm. with the defense with the Toronto Rock. Unfortunately, you know Dan Latasseur was the guy that got let go. Do you mm-hmm. think that was a, a move that needs to be made? And if it was, was it the right? Um, I I, I mean, again, that's kind of you know I don't really. Um, you know, as a as a player on the team, you know, um, like he, he, I feel for Lottie. Uh, Lottie yeah. did a really good job, in my opinion. He's a he's a great guy. He's a professional. Uh, I, I I had a good fortune of playing with Lottie as well, mm-hmm. and uh, and as a coach, I learned a lot from him over the last couple of years. Um, yeah. You know, but you know, unfortunately, you know, when when you go through stretches like this, you know, um, people that are at a higher level than I am, um, have to, you know, have, have to ask a lot of questions and, and make yeah. tough decisions. And I know, I know that wasn't an easy one. And, uh, I guess we'll see him. Obviously Matty is a guy that has been around the team, knows the guys, you know, is he's a veteran coach. He's won mm-hmm. at a lot of different levels. So I'm sure, you know, he's going to come in and bring his own style and it's nice that the guys already know him. Yeah. Um, so that helps, but, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely, Again, like I said earlier, it hasn't been fun, you know. And, yeah. when, and, and when they let go go a lot, it it, it definitely uh, 
it, it was a tough thing for sure for our group. The defense, I didn't think the defense was so much an issue in those first few games. You guys, both sides have all had struggles, but one of the arguments a lot of people have, and, and it's no, you know, um, mm-hmm. No, no question that the Rock are the oldest team in the National Cross League. But mm-hmm. is, do you think that's catching up to you guys? Are the Rock too old? Uh, well, you're talking to an old guy here, Eddie. So <laughs> hey, I'm older than you, okay. so it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, I, I you know, I, I don't think so, to be honest. I mean, I, again, I, I'm, I'm biased, and I, mm-hmm. I believe a lot of, uh, I believe a lot of the guys in that room, um, yeah. for sure, and, and, and. Uh, I think that that would be selling those guys short. Um, and, you know, again, I, I, you know, if you even look at, at our season last year, I mean, we were the oldest team in the league last year too, and we went a long way. And uh, I, I, I do think, though, it was a bit of a wake-up call for us all. Yeah. You know, again, having this having this stretch, and it's not not only the fact that we lost those games, it's how we lost those games, right? Yeah. And, and I think it's, um, you know, uh, you know, we, we've lost them in ways that, you know, it's not like we were getting run on either all, all that much and, and losing those games in transition. We were getting beat five on five, which was kind of our bread and butter last year, both offensively mm-hmm. and defensively. And, and, uh, and we just weren't getting the job done. So, I mean, from our perspective, I don't, I don't think we look at it as a young or an old thing. I think we're right now looking at ourselves in the mirror, top to bottom and, and trying to figure out what we can do to improve it um, because the, the fact of the matter is, is that this team hasn't give up, given up on anything and we still have a goal to win, Absolutely. you know? And, and, uh, and so, um, I mean, I guess, you know, when, the, when the season's over and, and I'm sure Jamie's, you know, and, and the rest of the staff are doing kind of their own evaluations throughout the course of this year to try and figure things out, uh, they can make the, those decisions accordingly. But for now, we think that we have what we need in the room, and 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 it's just a matter of us uh, doing more. You guys had a, a good two week break, and it might have come at you know an opportune time. You're going to get uh, Gamble back, you're going to get Scotty Johnson back, and then you guys go on a Sunday game against New England. Do you think that two week that two week break was a good thing for you guys? Uh, yeah, I mean. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a, it's a, I guess we'll see, yeah. but, uh, you know, again, it's, um, you never want to go into a bye week kind of off, you know, stewing on a loss, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, we have to answer, we have, we had a lot of questions to answer, you know, over the last little while. And, and this gives us some time to, you know, again, get, go back to the drawing board and try and figure out some answers to those questions. So, you know, and also, you know, give some guys some time to get healthy, you know, and, and deal with some bumps and bruises. It was a busy first couple of weeks for us um, and, you know, playing against some tough teams and, uh, you know, again, you know, give some guys to get in some extra workouts. We had some guys, like you said, you know, Jesse Gamble that, you know, is nursing a bit of an injury and, you know, Scotty Johnson's close to coming back and, you know, again, getting Shooter back and getting him, mm-hmm. you know, getting getting some good practices in for him and, you know, and, and going through some film and all those things are going to, I think are going to help us going into Sunday. We're catching you coming home from school. You do a yeoman's work at the Hill Academy. How's it going there? Things are going great, Teddy. Actually, it's, uh, this is our 10th year. Um, and, uh, yeah, things are going really, really well. We're, we're growing, uh, we're growing significantly every year. We're adding, we're adding new stuff new sports starting next year as well we're, we're adding a football program a rugby awesome. program and uh and and some other things in, in the works as well you know our, our lacrosse program is you know is is thriving so uh and so is our hockey program so yeah it's 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 a lot of fun to go to work every day that's for sure how many guys are you are you putting in u.s colleges every year well i i i you know, actually, we look at we were looking at our commitment board uh, today, and uh, you know, currently, kids in the program that we have right now, uh, as of today, we have 31 kids already committed to D1. 31. School. So, yeah, they're currently in our cool. program right now, and then wow. that should be by the end of the year. There's probably going to be another, I would say, between 10 to 15 more minimum. So, and then you know, so that every year we're graduating between 30 to 40 kids to D1 schools these days. Wow. So it's pretty pretty amazing yeah it's pretty and you're getting kids from all and you're getting kids from all over going there we are yeah it's pretty cool i mean we have you know within our you know within our hockey program we have kids from like mexico and europe (laughs) and 
all over the place, all over Canada, obviously all over Canada and North America. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, within the lacrosse program, it's, it's, it's cool to see how much the, the sport has grown since you and I kind of were going through the ranks. But, uh, yeah. you know, we have kids, you know, in our lacrosse program from, from Texas, from California, from, you know, you know, Maritimes to yeah. Manitoba to, you know, obviously all over Ontario, some BC kids as well and Alberta kids. So it's, 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 it's pretty neat to see how the game has grown. And, uh, and, and for us as a program, it's, it's pretty cool that it's pretty neat because these kids come in, come in from all these different places, but they all are like-minded kids, right? They're all, mm-hmm. they're all focused on accomplishing the same thing. So it creates a really, really neat environment at the Hill where they're, uh, they're able to form a really special bond because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it makes the, the, the experience that much more unique, though, because, um, you know, kids from Ontario that grew up, grow up in, you know, box, you know, primarily box backgrounds. Yeah. You know, they're, they're learning different things about their game from, you know, from a kid from California. You know Absolutely. what I mean? And, and New York City. And, and it's become it's become a really powerful thing. You know, we have you know, five or six native kids as well that are at the school too. And, you know, I mean, again, it's, 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 you know, the way, the way a native kid grew up playing the game is different than, than the way a kid from Whitby grew up playing the game. And they're able to learn from each other in a lot of positive ways, which is, which is really cool. You spoke of, what's that? The first couple of weeks of school are kind of awkward because they're used to used to battling against each other, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, in the summertime and stuff like that. But after that, you know, they, they again they they form friendships pretty quickly and a pretty special bond that way. So. You talked about uh, some of the native kids going to Hill Academy. Are you bringing them from the Arrows? Are you making that connection? Well, no. I mean, again, actually, that's kind of how I got into. Uh, I was introduced into into the organi- Arrows organization. Is that. Uh, I got to know a few kids that uh, came to the hill, yeah. um, and uh, and uh, and then yeah, and and got to know their parents and some different people from that community, and um, and so yeah, no, I, I I don't you know I don't I don't I don't recruit that way, but yeah, uh, but at the same time you know yeah, it, it's pretty cool that uh, I do have a couple guys that played for me in the summer that 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 came to the hill and uh, they get to hear. Uh, <laughs> me harp on them year round so uh it's always it's always fun absolutely um your time with the arrows uh you know first year you uh Polly Doss um mm-hmm. uh, Dean Hill yeah Dean Hill like you guys put a great coaching group together and you got to work with some incredible young kids but what was it like to be a coach to see that group grow Oh, it was uh, it was a pretty special summer. Um, you know, for me, I, I mean, I learned uh, obviously uh, uh, as a coach, I couldn't have asked for a, a better a better way to to kind of start off my junior A career as a coach. Uh, and you know, it was such a great group of guys where you know the coaching staff was a lot of fun to be around with uh, Billy Greer and Paulie Dawson and Dean Hill yeah. and myself. We worked together really, uh, you know, and and Jake Henhock, our GM, and Scott Smith, our our director of player personnel and Landon Miller, who's the president of the team, who I used mm-hmm. to play against in junior. So it was a really great team that way where we were always, obviously it was always a collaborative effort with regards to the coaching side of things, but the players themselves, you know, we had, a, we had an awesome group of veterans that made it really, really easy on us as a, as a young kind of new coaching staff, mm-hmm. um, kind of show us kind of the way the, the ropes around there. And, and, um, and, uh, so that was great, and then we had a lot of great young guys that that came up that were, you know, mature beyond their years. So it was a it was an amazing experience from start to finish. Does it make you want to coach at higher levels now, or are you are you happy coaching sort of that junior age group? Well, it was funny because, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really I, I'm happy. You know, I get my coaching fix, you know, daily at the hill, and mm-hmm. and uh, and then you know with the arrows as well. That's that's awesome, and I've got a little guy that's just started playing lacrosse as well. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I'm happy doing that. Um, it's funny because my wife was like, when I got hurt, you know, first of all, I want to, I, I, I want to try and work hard and whether it happens or not is, is to be mm-hmm. seen, but I want to work hard and try and come back and play one more year next year. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, she said, when I got hurt, she said, well, you're not going to get into coaching now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you know, and, 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 and honestly, like, you know, maybe down the road, uh, coaching yeah. the 
you know, obviously that'd be, I think that'd be a lot of fun one day, but I owe, I owe a lot of time to my family and, uh, and, and to, uh, to the Hill, um, you know, once I'm done playing and, uh, and I'll kind of take it from there, but I definitely have aspirations of being a coach in this league one day because just because I love the league and uh, it'll always be a part of me. Um, so yeah, for sure. Are you uh, going to make the trip down to the Hearst for the 20-year anniversary in September? Uh, you know what? I was thinking about that. Are you think? What are you doing? I, I, think, gonna, I, think, I think some of us Western guys might make that trip. I think oh, me I and Bruce and Cursado and the O'Connors, I think we're going to try to make that down because it is, you know, 20 years. It's kind of a cool celebration. I think a lot of guys are going to come down. Well, especially for you guys. You guys were... Yeah, we rarely get out there. Yeah, and you guys were kind of the first ever group were you yeah. not or, uh, i was yeah. the second i was part of the second, second year bruce second and the o'connors and, yeah. and crow were all those first year guys and then and then i i went down with uh all those whitby boys sally and pro yeah. sudden yeah. macon stevie boy yeah. talking all those guys yeah. but we yeah. also, i'm well, sure you'll be able to get judgy to come down with you has it, has it been 20 years already man holy yeah. uh, so the, so yeah, the first year was <laughs> the first year was 96 that fall of 96 and then 97 was the first full year, and then I came yeah. in the fall of '97. But it should be yeah. a, a great. I was '98. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right after me. So, um, Pat, yeah. it's always great catching up with you. I wish you the best of luck with surgery in a month, um, and hopefully uh, a speedy recovery. And, and best of luck with the hill and the arrows. Thanks, man. Uh, obviously, I'm biased because you're a buddy of mine. But you're doing a great <laughs> job. You're seriously though. You're doing a great job growing this game, and and uh, I really appreciate it. There he is, Patrick Merrill. Um, Works at the Hill Academy, head coach of the Arrows. Uh, unfortunately, you know, n- knee surgery is going to take him out of the National Lacrosse League for the time being. You heard him. He said he, he would love to try to come back in a year, next year, and give it a go once more. But we talked about knee injuries. And there's an article on Islandor from a few years ago that Marty O'Neill wrote. And it kind of looked at the guys that have been lost due to knee injuries. Uh, Riley Kemp, Nick Patterson, Mark Mayashita, uh, Ryan Sharp, Suter's done his knee twice, uh, Aaron Wilson did his knee, um, and the, there's, there's a, a, the list continues to go on and on. And I don't, I don't know what the solution is. Um, one of the big things is, is I've made that comment, I've made the comment here on this show, is the bumps in the turf. There's got to be a way. Like, you watch an, an arena football game, you don't see any bumps in the turf. Well, maybe you do. I don't watch a lot of AFL, but I've, I've seen a few games, but I never see, you know, big bumps in the middle of the field. I don't see the turf rolling up on the sides or, or coming loose in the corners. There's got to be a way for this league to figure out how to protect our players better if they're going to continue playing on turf. There's got to be a better way because we can't keep losing players to knee injuries because the turf isn't fitting properly. It doesn't make sense. And I don't know what the easy fix is. Because the turf gets rolled up, it gets put away, and then it gets rolled out and put back. You know, maybe it is a better option to do what they did in Montreal for the exhibition game and have, I don't know what the exact number was, but 867 square patches of turf that all fit perfectly like a puzzle. Because you, you watch a game, watch most of the games in the National Cross League and look at sort of the section of turf by the white restraining line, as it were. And you'll see those patches right in the middle that bump up. Look in the corners, look how there's like six, eight inches of turf rolled up in the corners. It's just injuries waiting to happen. Ankles, knees, everything else. There's got to be a way, and we need to figure it out because we can't keep losing players to knee injuries when sometimes it's preventative. I get it. This is lacrosse. It's the fastest game on two feet, and when guys are cutting back and forth, injuries are going to happen. I get that. I get that. But when sometimes they can be prevented, we need to do a better job. Because the product on the floor suffers when the best in the game aren't playing. Andrew Suter, case in point. 
Get back soon, Suits. I know you're going to be back soon. We're going to try to have um, Andrew Suter on the program in a couple weeks. We're going to try to get uh, Sean Pollock on next week. Uh, he's recently retired from the Colorado Mammoth and the Calgary Roughnecks and the Minnesota Swarm and every other team he's played for. I'm just, I'm just kidding, Paulie. I think he's only played for uh, three or four teams. Less than me, I think. I've played on four. I think he's only played for three. Uh, we're going to try to have Polly on next week, uh, try to get Suits on in a couple weeks. But we still have uh, a few things to get through here on the OTCB podcast, especially this. Go ahead and tell everybody, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. I believe every Now a battle on the wall, a chance here for the Swarm, as we've got five seconds, it's Thompson. Thompson's going to go one-on-one in there takes the shot, and Poulin makes the save, and jumps on the ball. Calgary wins it, 12-11. What a comeback. That save right there was the 28th of the game for Mike Poulin in just 37 minutes of lacrosse, one of 14 he made in the fourth quarter alone as he helped the Calgary Roughnecks to an almost improbable win after trailing 9-3 at one point early in the third quarter. And Mike Poulin, who's been the backup to Frankie Chiliano all year, it's never easy for a goalie to come in cold off the bench. But Poulin is a pro's pro and one of the best team guys you'll find. And he just did his job and what his coaches asked him to do. Stop the bleeding, give his team a chance to come back, and a chance to win the game. And that save allowed Calgary a huge split over the weekend. And he is the man. That's right, Mike Poulin was absolutely phenomenal coming in in relief for Frankie Chiliano. Now, they had a long travel day, but as Kurt Miloski said in his post-game comments after the game, there's no excuse for that. Teams travel, you got to get over it. And, and his team was, you know, they weren't moving the ball, their feet really well to start that game. And Frankie didn't get off to the best of starts, kind of struggled early on, uh, whether it be travel or, or whatever. But then they put Poulin in, and he just seemed to settle that team down. And he gave his team a chance to win. And oddly enough, the winning goal in that game was scored by a defender. And I think Calgary might have one of the highest scoring defenses in the National Cross League. And Greg Harnett had his second goal in two games, second big goal in two games. And this week it just happened to be the game winner. And he, head coach Kurt Miloski was asked about where these sort of late game uh, goals are coming from Greg Harnett, and a uh, great response from Mouse. Uh, you might want to look up a shooting percentage. He's got to be close to 100%. He's, he's, pretty, he's pretty solid, and, you know, we, you know, he's a leader on this team because he's a warrior, and he exemplifies what the Roughnecks are all about, to go down, tweaked his knee pretty good on that one, and came back and competed and went to war. And he, uh, how, do you not, how do your teammates not go to battle for you when you see that? And, you know, I, I do believe in the cross gods, and I do believe in karma. And, you know, and he, he goes down, he comes back, and he, he got rewarded for, for his efforts tonight with that big goal. Mouse always has <laughs> some really great things to say. Uh, he's, he never holds back. Um, I noticed that they didn't interview him, or at least on the broadcast, they didn't interview him at the end of the first half. I think they're probably a little worried about what he might say because Mouse never holds back, and he's been often to known, been known to fly off the handle. But, um, you know, he's, it, you can go to uh, the Roughnecks website and they have a media page and you can listen to his post-game comments. And he basically said, you know what, it didn't, it w didn't warrant them going in and tearing a strip off the guys. They knew that they weren't playing well, but they also took into account the travel and they'd played the night before and, and, and a slow start. And that often happens in this league. When teams play the night before, they generally get off to a slow start. But when the game gets into the later stages, those teams often come back and win. It's a crazy anomaly in the National Lacrosse League. And, and Mo said in the press conference after that, you know, they just went in the locker room, talked some things out, looked at some game tape, 
And then they figured things out. And then Poonin came in and, and helped them get to the win. So it's crazy how teams playing the second game of back-to-backs often win. So if you're betting there, maybe look at taking teams who are on back-to-back nights. Uh, one quick thing before we get to go. Oh, uh, also, Mike Poulin, congrats on your 50th win, by the way. Um, he had a great tweet after the game. Um, he said, what did he say? I think he said something like, I started my career 0-5. I didn't think I'd ever win five games, let alone 50. So congrats to Pooh because he's a fantastic guy. Um, and just talk to anybody in that Roughnecks locker room, and they'll tell you that he is a massive part and one of the best guys in that room, a great soul guy and a great team guy. Another guy that reached a pretty significant milestone in his career, uh, John Grant Jr., might have heard of him. He just became only the second player in National Lacrosse League history with 1,400 points. Yeah, 1,400 I think I have 14. 1,400. And, you know, I've continually talked about Junior. Last week it was uh, he had just gotten his 500th point in a mammoth uniform. Now he's at 1,400 for a career. Unfortunately, he's like 153 or something silly behind JT. Just remarkable. So congrats to Junior, congrats to Pooh, um, and everybody else who's breaking milestones. There's so many. Every time a game's played, someone's either got their 100th game or 100th goal, and it's just guys are starting to have longer careers, and it's just fantastic for the National Lacrosse League. I think that's about it. Um, We don't talk a lot of WLA here, uh, especially during National Lacrosse season. Um, but Wednesday night is the WLA draft. I will be doing the broadcast. Uh, you can find a link for the, the uh, draft on WLALacrosse.com. It gets going at 7 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, your top picks, your top four or five, are probably going to round out like this. Um, it's either going to be uh, Josh Byrne or Mike Messenger going one to the Bernie B. Lakers, and then two, three, four, will be, hold on, let's try this again. Burnaby has said that they're leaning towards Josh Byrne. Paul Robotham, the GM, has has gone on record saying they are leaning towards Josh Byrne. Um, he's a lefty, a new-ass kid, and would be a fantastic addition, especially since they've lost Casey Jackson, and I don't know if they're going to bring Jamie Lincoln back. So if they take Josh Byrne, which many predict them to, uh, your next three will be, in some order, Messenger, James Rahe, and uh, uh, Callan Rogers. Those are your next three guys, so two through four. I would expect that with the fifth pick, the Langley Thunder are going to take Jordan Gillis, Gillies, sorry, um, out of Delta, but the way he's been playing for the Mammoth is just, his stock just has to rise. Like, he was a sixth-round pick by the Mammoth. And he's probably going to be an all-rookie. He's been phenomenal for Colorado. And if he drops to five, like, that's a huge pickup for the Thunder at five. And then six, seven, eight, uh, eight is the first pick of the second round, but 6, 7, 8 are all Nymal Timurin picks. The T-Men have 10 of the first 25 picks. So they're going to stock up, and I think they're going to get a lot of those guys to commit to going to the Hub City. So uh, Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific time, WLALacrosse.com. I will have the call. Hope to see you. some of you tuned in. And uh, next week, we'll kind of recap it. Thursday, uh, go to Inside Lacrosse. Check out my 30 thoughts. There's going to be a bunch of them. 30 to be exact. This week's game, before we get you out of here, as mentioned off the top of the show, it all starts Thursday night in what will be a huge, huge game. Saskatchewan at Colorado from the Loud House. Uh, watch ESPN in the United States, TSN2 and TSN Go in Canada. Um, on Saturday, Vancouver is at Rochester. Fox Sports go both sides of the border. 
Also on Saturday, Colorado is in Calgary. Uh, watch ESPN and TSN Go. And then Sunday, two games. Buffalo at Georgia. That's at 2 p.m. Eastern time. And then Toronto at New England. That's at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Both those games on Fox Sports. Go. My name is Teddy Jenner. At Off the Crossbar. Teddy.Jenner at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Always enjoy talking to fans. Thanks to Patty Merrill. And thanks to you for stopping by. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Be excellent to each other. Woman, don't try to love me. Don't try to understand. A life upon the road is the life of an outlaw man. First left my woman.